Welcome to the Possibly Haunted Podcast. listeners and welcome to our podcast um returning or new either way um this week we are going to be talking about actually hold on i'm so sorry we're so i'm so not used to having people anymore um i'm heather and i'm here with uh, Kat, morgan Ooh, your podcast and our respective pets possibly haunted <laughs> podcast ladies um Anyways, okay, now we're getting into today, uh, this week's topic. It's almost Halloween when this episode comes out, so we wanted to get you something a little spooky, but continue our kind of historical monsters series that we've done. We did historical werewolves and historical vampires. Today is historical zombies, um, which is a little difficult because that definition is kind of vague and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But um, before we jump into all of that, I wanted to read the Coven Corner comments from um our campfire episode we're we're gonna be like a episode off from here on out just to give everyone time to answer but unfortunately um no one responded to this coven corner comment on facebook twitter or instagram so um i have a few reasons why that might have happened uh either you are so overly excited that you can't decide on one aspect which i totally get because that's literally me every day or you were so mentally exhausted because of the pandemic and the world being on fire that you're not really looking forward to anything or you don't realize that you haven't thought about the holiday season. You just think it's still March, which it kind of feels that way, except for, you know, leaves turning. So uh, we just want to say if you are in that second stage, that's okay. We love you anyways, and we hope you are taking care of yourself. Um... That- Meanwhile, I'm here with my shame bell as the shame nun to be like, shame! <laughs> No, honestly, like, I really feel like you would force water on people. Like, are you hydrating? Hydrate. Stay freaking hydrated, you bastards. I uh, recently downloaded TikTok for podcast reasons, but unfortunately, it's a suck hole. And there's this one particular uh, TikToker that I like um, that just gives me, like, reasons to wake up, which is the point. And basically, you know, uh, they're saying... Stuff like, you know, wash your face, clean your culo, <laughs> and uh, hydrate. And, uh, you know, yeah. carpe the fuck out of this DM. And I just really appreciate that that energy. Um, anyways. <laughs> the uh, TikTok obsession what? is this woman that makes bread. I have a TikTok obsession with this woman that makes bread every day. And she will make, like, five loaves of sourdough in one little, like, episode. And she'll, like, kind of lightly tap these little balls of beautiful yeasted dough. And it's just, I love her so much. And that's my TikTok obsession. I have many obsessions. I'm really, I restrain myself from completely spamming y'all. And believe me, guys, I have actually held myself back. You may not feel like I have, but I have. Um... (laughs) So whatever you need to do to get through this pandemic and the world beyond fire, as long as it's legal and well you know mostly legal um and doesn't Not actually anybody. yeah no harm done to other people or yourself just make sure that <laughs> you're uh, taking care of yourself and hydrating um but we'll go ahead and move on to this week's 
Coven Corner, which is, what are your Halloween plans? Who wants to go first? You go ahead, Kat. Well, fine. Well, I will tell you that how I got through today was uh, I didn't want to eat lunch, but I did want hot chocolate. So I made myself a hot chocolate in the back of the packet said, hey, try some bourbon in it. And I went, okay, back of the packet. So that's how I got through the day. But <laughs> um, <laughs> my Halloween plans right now are uh, basically I have a costume, which everyone will see, um, which I think is going to be magnificent. I have to sew it, but it's going to be magnificent. I cannot wait. Um, we have socially distanced, not on Halloween trick or treating planned in our neighborhood that I'm in. Like it's everyone meets at this median that runs down a main road in the neighborhood, and uh, kids, masked children, uh, they have to wear masks or they can't get candy. Walk down the center, and everyone has a six feet apart little spot to stand, so they can control traffic and you can hand out candy. That and is I'm like, so adorable. Now, do Halloween masks count as masks? Or do they have to have, like, a, like, you know, medical mask? They have to have, like, a cloth or medical mask. Yeah, okay. You know. Because uh, school children have to wear a mask to school here. Um, mm -hmm. That's the rule. So all the kids have masks anyway. Um, so they might as well be wearing a mask. Please and thank you. So I might do that. It depends on, like, how I'm feeling. Because <laughs> I'm currently... Like, I went to go visit somebody for their birthday, and now I'm isolating for two weeks uh, to make sure that I'm not, like, Smart, spreading yeah. anything. Um, so it really depends on if I have to see the world before then and stuff like that. But I might just donate, like, a huge bag of candy to them and be like, give this to children. Um, yeah. Other That's than cool, that, uh, Halloween, like that, Halloween movies, friend of the podcast, Austin from Florida, um... It's probably coming up, so we'll probably sit in our costumes and watch movies. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, literally sounds awesome. I have. What seen, else are you gonna do, right? <laughs> okay, I say I have seen on uh, Facebook that um, like social distancing, trick or treating. So you go to like where the mailbox is, and it's like far away from the door, and there's like a little pulley system. Not only do they give candy to the kid, but they also give like a beer to the adult walking the kid. And I was like, I like that system. I like your train of thought. Expensive, but Honestly, I like it. If I was a parent right now, uh, I would have a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There'd be a lot of fear passing through these lips. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you, Morgan? I don't really have any plans. I thought I might throw another small little get-together, but I'm leaning towards I don't really want to. So I'm probably just going to stay home and watch a movie. Do you want to come over? No. Okay. I thought I'd offer. <laughs> You're welcome still, anytime. This still sounds awesome. Still sounds fun. I um, actually took the day off from work, which is something I rarely do. Um, just because it's a Saturday. No one wants to work Saturdays. Um, but it's Halloween's on a Saturday in the middle of full moon. I know like the pandemic is like an issue and I'm not going to go out and be stupid, but I was like, I'm just going to take the day for myself. Even if I don't go out, um, I just like, it, even if I sit on the couch in my costume, <laughs> um, yeah, I just really wanted like just a day to myself. Um, I'll probably also yeah. watch a variation of Halloween or spooky movies. Um, maybe I'll bake. I don't know. Uh, if I am in the house, if I'm not going to Morgan's to watch movies, um, I'll try and get invited. some candy, <laughs> um, just in case we have any kids in the apartment area, um, yeah. and I'll be safe about it, of course. Um, Ooh, 
Something else that I do have, though, is the yoga classes that I take that are online. They're offering a class uh, that is ghost stories in yoga on the 29th. (gasps) So basically, this lady streams from a graveyard. She tells you a ghost story, and then you do like 45 minutes of yoga. (laughs) And I'm like, Hmm. this is the combination that is perfect for me. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. That is so cool. As long as, you know, everything's being respectful of the cemetery, which I assume it is. That's awesome. She's being nice, and she has permission, so. Exactly. I figured she wouldn't do it unless she could. Um, Also, for you Animal Crossers out there, um, Halloween's going to be a fun day on uh, Animal Crossing. You're going to meet, you know, Jack the Pumpkin King. Not Jack Skellington, unfortunately. Um, And uh, you need to have candy to give all to your, your villagers, so prep now if you haven't already been prepping. I'm obsessed with the Halloween season on Animal Crossing. I have pumpkins everywhere, pumpkin everything. I'm into it. The designers do such a great job on Animal Crossing stuff. (laughs) Uh, I need breaks from everything else that I do, although I can only play like two days a week, so I like time travel to like make up for lost time. Okay. Um, Okay, well, let's just jump into our episode for today. So we're talking about historical zombies. Um, And before we get into our individual topics, which I'm really excited to hear about everybody's and talk about mine, but um, let's actually break down what a zombie is. Um, So a zombie, which the word is um, in like Haitian French is zombie and then Haitian Creole is like zombie. So there's like an N instead of an M. Um, It's okay. Well, this is the definition I got off of Wikipedia. So like if it's wrong, it's wrong. Um, It's a fictional undead uh corporeal revenant created through the reanimation of a corpse zombies are most commonly found in horror and fantasy genre works the term comes from haitian folklore which in a zombie is a dead body um reanimated reanimated through various methods most commonly magic um modern depictions of the reanimation of the dead do not necessarily involve magic but often invoke science fictional methods such as carriers, radiation, mental diseases, vectors, pathogens, parasites, and scientific accidents. Um, personally, the etymology of the word is so fascinating to me, but I we don't have enough time in this episode, so I encourage you, if you don't already know, go look that up. Um, and just because of the way that we're, like, the different topics we're talking about today, um, the traditional sense of the word is the reanimation of a human body, um, but nowadays, because of, because of the fictional aspect, um, it is colloquially or commonly used to reference or describe a reanimated thing slash object, or like when the mind is taken over by a parasite type function. And so we kind of get into that a little bit today. Now, I, I talked a lot about how it's like a fictional thing, but it actually comes from a real non-fictional concept or practice. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. Kat, you kind of go into that a little bit? I do. Okay, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it to you then. Okie dokie. Okay, so um, when we were talking about doing something with historical zombies, I remembered this um, NPR talk that I listened to. That was it had to have been close to Halloween about the uh, history of zombies because zombies became this huge pop culture phenomenon. I would say in the early 2010s. I'm thinking is about then Walking Dead was really big, World War Z, blah, blah, blah. So they're talking about the history of zombies. 
And so uh, Professor Emily Willens um, from the University of California, Irvine, said that zombies were a very logical offspring of New World slavery. Um, according to her, the uh, slavery in colonial Haiti was viciously br brutal. So slaves were brought over uh, from 1625 to 1800s. Um, it was... The, the inhumanity of the situation was just so intense and so upsetting. Um, basically, people that were brought over, slaves that were brought over, were dying within a couple years of arriving, just from being overworked. But there was a, uh, a belief that uh, dying would release them back to Languine, or Guinea, or Africa in general, um, and a kind of afterlife where they could be free. However, uh, suicide uh, was common am among slaves, understandably, but the tale began that if you did die of suicide, you were not necessarily going to be allowed to return to Land Guinea. Instead, you would be condemned to skulk uh, the Hispaniola population Hispaniola plantations for eternity and be an undead slave that were de denied their own bodies and yet trapped inside of them as a soulless zombie, which is horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Fate worse than death. Isn't that super fun? Um, so some of the earliest references in the United States are deeply connected to African traditions as well. The word zombie, uh, which is in history uh, spelled without an E at the end, so it's Z-O-M-B-I, first appeared in American print in the newspaper uh, in a short story called The Unknown Painter in 1838. That's just, you were talking about entomology and stuff, and I was like, oh, there, ba -ba -ba, I have something in my notes. Um, <laughs> So after the Haitian Revolution in 1804 and the end of French colonialism, the zombie became a part of Haiti's folklore. So after this entire revolution, the myth started to evolve and folded into more religious beliefs. So uh, Haitian beliefs became that zombies were corpses that were reanimated by shamans and voodoo priests. Sorcerers, known as Bokor, B-O-K-O-R, use their bewitched undead as free labor to carry out nefarious tasks. So like uh, minions of sort. It's, uh, it became this post-colonialism zombie and it was a uh, symbol of the legacy of slavery and the possibly of it, possibility of it being reinstitutionalized within the area that they lived and also a symbol of the continuing subjugation. Um, so we have this sort of thing. And then we have, uh, interestingly enough, a case from modern times, uh, 1962, of a man named uh, Clairvius Narcisse. Uh, so C-L-A-I-R-V-I-U-S, uh, Narcisse, which is N-A-R-C-I-S-S-E, um, was a Haitian man who claimed to have been termed into a zombie by Haitian voodoo and forced to work as a slave. Now, I heard this uh, in, like, a story, and it was horrible. Um, because in the end, there wasn't really any uh, conclusion as to what caused this to happen to him. Um, 
so he admitted himself to a hospital um, on April 30th, 1962. He had fever, fatigue, was spitting up blood. No explanation was found to the symptoms. He gradually grew worse until he died three days later. He was pronounced dead and held in cold storage. However, in 1980, a man identifying himself as Clervius Narcisse approached uh, a woman named Angela uh, Narcisse and said that he was her late brother. Saying that it was him, he convinced her that it was him by using a nickname that only the villagers and him would have known about. He said he was conscious but paralyzed during his death and burial and then removed from his grave and forced to work at a sugar plantation. So <laughs> there are records of him being pronounced dead. And then it's him again showing up almost 20 years later. So the hypothesis for this um, is that he was kept under uh, some sort of hallucinogenic toxin uh, for years. And uh, basically that using this hallucinogenic toxin, um, someone did keep him under control by keeping him in a near lethal dose. So he was conscious enough to move and to be a functioning body, but not enough to have any sort of will. And so they kept him like that in poisoning for 20 years, basically. Do we know who did this or is just... Well, okay, so there was a, a Canadian uh, ooh, ethnobotanist, which, by the way, sounds super rad and very impressive, who was named Wade Davis, who did uh, research, and the implication of the research was there was a toxin present that said the sorcerer, whoever that was, it's, there's a big question mark on that, right. uh, gave him a powder through uh, some sort of like abrasion in his skin. So it could have been anyone. It could have been someone who, uh, I watched this Vice video where this there's this fear that someone could walk up to you and blow this powder into your face, and that's it. Yeah. You know? And so that's the, the fear around it. Now, there is some skepticism as to what it is. A lot of people are like, no, it's not uh, something that really happens. It's fraudulent science. Um Blah, 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 blah. But the entire concept of it is terrifying. And that is sort of what's left over from the belief of becoming zombies to a, um, a slave master. And this holdover, holdover from colonialism mm -hmm. is this concept of somebody could walk up to you and blow some powder into your face. And all of a sudden you're working and you don't know where you are for 20 years. Oh my gosh. When everyone else thinks you're dead. And so I was like, ugh. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, uh, that's well, especially like terrifying. The, like the fear of not being able to control your own body and mind. Yeah. That's already like a daily fear. And then it's just easy as blowing something in your face. Like Lubbock Gwynn could literally yeah. do this to the entire population. Yeah. I'm like, no one give that to Lubbock. Anyone in Lubbock ever. <laughs> you know? Oh, and um, the story of this man who became a zombie in quotation marks is loosely adapted into a Wes Craven film called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Mm. So, ah. I will yeah. also say, uh, pop culture reference, I'm jumping, I'm jumping the gun, but like literally the entire time you're talking, I can, I'm, all, I'm thinking of a very specific Bones episode where she's in New Orleans. It was right after uh, Hurricane Katrina and she had to help 
uh, like identified bodies and everything. And like literally the, the powder, the hallucinogen, not being able to control your body, like all of that is in that episode. It's so crazy. Yeah, there is, there are drugs, uh, that have a, a very strong hallucinogenic effect that can come in powders. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that is a problem in a lot of places, not necessarily you're going to be turned into a zombie, but the idea that you could be given something that's going to put you in a near comatose state where, you know, the question of where death is yeah. uh, comes into your life uh, very, very quickly. Um, so it's not impossible that he could have been put under some sort of hallucinogenic medicine, mm -hmm. and maybe it took him a very long time to recover. Maybe not 20 years, but who knows? Also, um, like the long-term effect of if if he was consistently given or exposed to this thing, what is the health yeah. effects? Yeah, so crazy. So it it's it happened to a handful of others uh, as well. Um, they believe the toxin was from uh, a combination of pufferfish toxins and bull toad uh, toxins. Mm -hmm. So that mimic the appearance of death, which makes me just think of Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. Except she gets mm -hmm. a pretty flower, pretty purple flower, and everyone else gets bullfrogs and pufferfish. But, you know, who's complaining? <laughs> but that's my story. Because <laughs> I was like, everyone needs to know how terrifying this is. <laughs> Perfect for right before Halloween. Um, yeah. Maybe don't go trick-or-treating, not just because pandemic, but, you know. Dust? I don't know. <laughs> Someone walks up to you with a handful of powder, you say no. Or you just don't <laughs> wear just, a mask. Just run away. Just don't even be exposed. Wear a to mask. It. Wear a mask. <laughs> okay. Well, that, uh, yeah, that is terrifying. Um, I appreciate the uh, historical component. Uh, Morgan, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, mine's very scientific <laughs> and hard to pronounce. I believe. So, I'm going to be talking about the Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Unilateralis. Yep. Yep. That's what it is. Uh, this is a parasitic fungi that is the real life zombie maker on our planet. Ooh. This fungus has one goal, which is self propagation and dispersal. So, this fungus infects uh, foraging ants mostly in the tropical regions, uh, through spores that attach and penetrate the exoskeleton and slowly take over the ant's behavior. As the infection advances, the enthralled ant is compelled to leave its nest for a more humid microclimate that's favorable to the fungi's growth. The ant is compelled to descend to a vantage point about 10 inches off the ground, sink its jaws into a leaf vein on the north side of a plant, and wait for death, basically. Good. So while this is happening, the fungus feeds on the ant's innards until it's ready for the final stage. Several days after the ant has died, the fungus sends a fruiting body out through the base of the ant's head, turning like it into a shriveled corpse into a launch pad from which it can jettison its spores and infect new ants. I don't like it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I know what this is, and I was excited about you talking about it, but the way you're talking about it really sounds like a sci-fi movie. I'm like, mm, no, it's not like you. <laughs> no, it reminds me of a video game specifically, which I'm sure might come up in, like, pop culture references. Yes. Shh. Okay. <laughs> yes. There's also a different species that will come out of, uh, I think, 
uh, oh, it was a caterpillar. They come out of a caterpillar's head like a unicorn horn. <gasps> Pretty. That's a different species. Which, by the way, I don't know if I wrote that down. Uh, there's over 200 different species of this sort of parasitic fungi. Can they do it so to humans? <laughs> no, they can't. Not yet. I want to be so, a fungus doctor now. Can I be a fungus scientist? You were almost done with this degree. Finish this one first. No, fungus scientist. <laughs> That's what I want to be. <laughs> Goodbye, doctorate. Goodbye. <laughs> so just like in uh, our regular zombie lore, there is an incubation period where the infected ants appear perfectly normal. And they go about their business undetected by the rest of the colony. This is really unusual for ants because they are social insects and they usually have something called social immunity, meaning sick members get kicked out of the group to prevent the rest from getting sick. Uh, but they can't detect the fungus. So, that's that. Trojan horse uh, but while fungi. Uh, basically. But while the cordyceps infection is 100% lethal, the goal isn't to convert all the ants into the walking dead. Only a few in a colony are infected at any given time because the ecosystems tend to balance themselves out. Mm. Unlike our fantastical zombie culture, this fungus does not invade the brain. The fungus casts its sort of mind control through bioactive compounds that interfere with the ant's nervous system and control its host directly at the muscles. That's more terrifying. I thought that was interesting. It doesn't actually go for the brain. That's way more terrifying. Um, so, I liked this one. Another cordyceps species, the... Into... Mothora muscae, which literally means insect destroyer of the fly <laughs> in Greek. Um, it causes infected flies to climb a certain height, glue themselves at the mouth of, of a at the mouth to a plant, and assume an abdomen up pose that's optimal for spore dispersal. So, just another one of those ways that it, it is manipulating the behavior of the insect and i like this i got most of this information from national geographic and like you know at the bottom they make sure to freak you out and say you know if animals are so easy manipulated what does that mean for us because we're just animals so yes catherine pop culture the cordyceps (laughs) fungus is the closest real world analog to the infected humans in the game the last of us yes In the game, um, in this game, we see really clearly, actually, the stages that the real-life fungus goes through. We see the first stage that shows infected humans, um, which resembles the modified behavior stage. I think they're called, like, runners or something like that, and they're, like, really angry, and they run around, and they scream a lot. So, modified behavior. Then, uh, in the game, we move on to see the clickers, which have been infected for longer, these zombies have a full head of fungi, which resembles the real-life stage where the fungus bursts from its host body for disbursement. Which and then we also pretty. see the final stage in the game with bodies that have been so taken over by the fungus, and they are releasing their spores. Honest- so I thought that was interesting, that you get to see the whole life cycle of basically the real-life fungus. And the I would love to have sort of a fungus crown, you know? Like, I honestly, like, the little, like, almost coral-like edges that some of the fungus takes on in that uh, video game. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a beautiful fungus crown 
and I will be a fungus queen. <laughs> and this is why you will be the first to die yes. in a zombie outbreak. <laughs> no, I will become a fungus queen and they will obey me. I can see you trying to go that route. I don't know how well that would work. Wait. You know I'm the first one to die anyway because I'm, you know, oh, first of all, I can't kill, I can't stand the idea of a chicken dying. Therefore, I don't think I'm going to last very long you're, in the apocalypse. You're one of the very situation. few people that I think cannot defend themselves because they don't like the idea of, like, hurting or death. Like, I, I wouldn't actively do it, but if something's coming at me, like, I, I, do, I know I have the gut reaction of, like, bitch, get off me, like, as a defense mechanism. Yours is broken. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, they, I think it's just one of those things that people have different responses to the thing, true. and my response to stress, like, stressors, I, I don't freeze, I don't fight, I don't flee, I friend. I'm like, hey, buddy, <laughs> we're gonna be fine, you have some great hair. I like you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm, that's my automatic thing. As soon as something's threatening, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to make you my best friend. <laughs> Scorpio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey there, buddy. <laughs> With a knife. Friendo. That's a good so. example. That's a really good example. Um, <laughs> I totally forgot that it was like in the last of us. That's why like, is it in humans yet? Oh, well, They've already explored that idea, and it's, yes, it's terrifying. But so far, no, uh, no indicators that it will jump to mammals. It's only been infecting insects, but it infects ants, caterpillars, flies. Uh, I think it said cicadas and tarantulas too. I saw one so. about tarantulas and spiders, and like what it. Oh, but I don't know if that was the same fungi or if that's actually a different insect. I think it's a different insect. Well, like I said, there are 200 different species of the cordyceps. Yeah. So, and not all of them are dangerous zombie ones. Some of them are used for medicinal purposes. Oh, that's how we get it in nice. with humans. I like it. Okay. <laughs> cool. That's, I just thought that was interesting. That's the closest real life zombie we're going to get. It, I do have that TikTok mushroom dance song now in my head. Where it's the mushroom dance, mushroom dance, whatever does it mean? It means you've lived a life of sin. And I think that that's just going to be the sounds of the mushroom takeover when we're all zombies. I feel like it would it'd have to be after all the crazy things that happens. It'd only be appropriate. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I guess I am the last one, so I will go. I don't know if this is uh, too soon to talk about a virus since we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't mean this, like, I'm not doing this to be crude or rude or anything like that. Um, pandemic is very serious. But I just did find this very interesting. Now, this, I'm, I'm going to be talking about what has been, like, colloquially called the reanimated virus. Um, I saw this, like, before the pandemic. Like, this is, you know, this particular article had been out for a while. I'm pretty sure I even shared it on our page, our Facebook page, once upon a time. But I can't remember. Um... But uh, I find it interesting and terrifying. Um, and this is why I was saying zombies is just the idea of reanimation, um, not just, not just uh, humans. But um, I'm just going to jump into it. So in 2014, yeah, so like this happened way back when, um, researchers from, and I don't speak French, so this is going to be awful, the... Center of National Scientific Research, I'm just going to translate it, there we go, um, at AIX-Marcel University in France, 
dug a fascinating organism out of the Siberian permafrost, a so-called giant virus from about 30,000 years ago. It's, it's 30,000 years old, um, which they named Pithovirus sibiricum. Very clever. I like it. Solid. <laughs> like it. Um, so just in case we don't know, because I didn't know this, um, giant viruses are called this because um, though they are still technically tiny, they are easily visible under the microscope. Um, but also something that makes uh, this particular virus stand out apart is that its DNA virus um, contains a large number of genes, specifically 500 genes in this DNA. Just to help y'all understand why that's really crazy. Um, like the uh, human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, um, contains only 12 mm -hmm. genes. So, wow. yeah, like oh. we all know how bad HIV is. Um, so I cannot imagine this particular virus having 500, what that actually means. Um, so the size of the giant viruses, as well as the fact that they contain a large amount of DNA, makes them particularly dangerous, obviously, um, as the researchers who discovered this explain, um, because they can stick around for a very long time. Um, that's really, really scary. Now, um, they say uh, the researchers who did an interview for National Geographic, we love National Geographic, say, quote, among known viruses, the giant viruses tend to be very tough, almost impossible to break open, end quote. Um, in another uh, quote, they, they say, quote, special environments such as deep ocean sediments and permafrost are very good uh, preservers of microbes and viruses because they are cold, anoxic, or oxygen-free um, and dark, end quote. Um, so... This reanimated virus, thankfully, only infects amoebas, um, which they categorize as archaic unicellular uh, organisms. Um, so not they don't affect humans and they don't affect animals. Um, but the researchers warned that there may be similar giant viruses buried inside that permafrost that could prove dangerous to humans. Um, they have remained safely contained so far global heating and human action could cause them to resurface and come back to life, which might bring about unknown threats to health. Like we've, we, as a, as a human history, as far as our documentation, we've seen our fair share of plagues. We're in the middle pandemic right now. Um, so I, I can't imagine what existed before we, you know, had records of it, or we, or maybe we had records and it's just been so long, uh, those records lost. I don't know. We're not going to get into that conversation right now. Um, and uh, they, they say, quote, mining and drilling mean digging through these ancient layers for the first time in millions of years. If viable uh, viruses are still there, there's a good recipe for disaster. This is coming from the researchers who found this in the first place. Um, they added, uh, quote, we freeze viruses in the laboratory to preserve them for the future. If they have a lipid envelope, like flu or HIV, for example, then they are a bit more fragile, but the viruses with an external protein shell, like foot and mouth uh, disease or common cold viruses, survive better. But it's the freezing, thawing process that poses the problems, because as the ice reforms then melts, there's a physical damaging effect. If they do survive this, then they need to find a host to infect, and they need to find them pretty fast. So, 
I remember reading this when it first came out and I was like, I don't like that. Uh, I mean, I guess it's something that we kind of know that there's obviously things frozen in the ice because that's what happens if you happen to be in the area that is frozen in ice. I just didn't really think about it, you know, surviving <laughs> and possibly being reanimated. Yeah. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, every time I drove by the CDC when I was growing up, because there's a big CDC building in Atlanta, I would just kind of look at it and go, uh-oh. Like, I know that they're they're fine. They do what they gotta. But they, I don't know. It makes me nervous. And that's what all the, like, bio-warfare, you know, fictions, movies, fantasies, or whatever kind of about, is the fact that we do, for scientific reasons and, you know, archival reasons, we keep these viruses frozen somewhere. Um, for very smart reasons, but I'm just like, how, I really, like, how easy would it be to just <laughs> go in there and take what you need and bam, people, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to cause any debate or any issues with the current pandemic. Um, I just, yeah. this was an example of a type of, um, historical. However, zombie. it's not an immediate what? concern. It's not an immediate concern. Don't put it on your list of things to be scared about in 2020. Yeah, you know, as I was saying, this this was discovered in 2014. It's been around for six years, and it affects, right. as of right now, only amoebas. <laughs> so this particular virus is, yeah, not that. But, you know, I'm just like, right. oh, global warming, as that continues and everything melts. Let's just jump on just that. back to your concern. Let's talk about things that are happening in the next 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, that was my reanimation historical zombie example. I really liked y'all's examples. I have one last little thing. Um, we've kind of already mentioned it as you tied it to um, your particular topic, but I have a question and that is there are, and cause we don't need to list them all. There's no way we can get through them all in this episode. Um, there are so many zombie pop, pop culture references, but what is your favorite one or top three that you can think of at the top of your head? Oh. Uh, zombie things, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. It, it's a classic. Any pop culture reference, it doesn't have to be a TV show or movie, like anything that references the idea of zombies. That's why I'm saying there's no, we cannot list it all right now. So you said Night of the Living Dead? Uh, I also uh, appreciate, in sort of the same way I appreciate everything that's horrible in media, um, warm bodies. Yes. It's so bad. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. But they come that back. The actor is very attractive. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that actor, the, the zombie actor, very hot. So, like, that's why I'm there. <laughs> like, I'm not there for the plot. The plot's dumb. It, it's literally you know, Romeo and Juliet, I, but they live instead of die. I love it. Yeah, yeah, So, like, well, he's already dead, so, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I appreciate the actor being attractive. Um, <laughs> and, you know... I also, I bought the book when I was in Italy, so I have it in Italian, and so there's a little bit of me that's, like, nostalgic for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd that. say those two are my, my two, is Night of the Living Dead and on the other end of the spectrum, Warm Bodies. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Perfect uh, examples. What about you, Morgan? Um, I'd have to say Train to Busan, Killing Zombie Nazis in Call of Duty, and then just anything Resident Evil. I will watch all the movies and watch all the playthrough of the games over and over again. Mm -hmm. Those like are it. good. I dig it. Yeah. I, uh, Warm Bodies was my answer. Uh, I went through the zombie yeah. craze when fast it was zombies. popular. Are we fast zombies or slow zombies, people? 
Like what? Like what do you prefer? I prefer slow zombies. Well, yeah, in personal, personal fast like, zombies are life. scarier. Yeah, I was gonna say, but if in media, do you prefer? Oh, um, I guess for plots, yeah, fast zombies. I was thinking if we're real, I'm already not a great runner. Of course, I want slow zombies. What are you talking about? Um, oh yeah, like. Like, the running training thing with zombies, you could set their speed, and I was like, how slow do they go? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, that's funny. I definitely was super into the craze. I even had, this is my zombie killing shirt, and it had, like, blood smeared all over it, so I was a zombie killer for Halloween one year. Um, that's how. Well, it- Morgan got to see a Walking Dead town when she came to Georgia the that first time. true. I was into Walking Dead. Uh, I fell out of it. I need to get back so I can finish it and be done with it, but uh, I fell out of it after... A particular character died, and I was like, I need a break. I mean, I think you can say it. If they haven't watched it by now, then, like, it's had to have been spoiled for everybody. I, I got upset when Emin Herschel died. Oh, I was going to say, after like, Glenn died, like really I was like, fuck this shit. That's, like, really early on. Uh, yeah, it's... I didn't watch it because I would... Every time I turned it on, I was like, I know exactly where yeah. that is, and I don't <laughs> I went because it was right by my house. <laughs> if they filmed something in Belton, I'd be like, I can't watch this. I'm sorry. I know where that is. I don't like it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like I drove, I drove Morgan an hour to like the Walking Dead city, um, passing through multiple Walking Dead sets on the way there, <laughs> and was like, yeah. So they filmed the scene where there's like a rattlesnake or something, and that's my childhood campgrounds. And then <laughs> you know, <laughs> here we go around here, and, you know. Yeah. So. She took me to Woodbury. Yeah. Oh. Which is not called Woodbury, but... I know, but for the sake of the show. sets. Yeah. yeah, and you got a picture with the cutout of the good-looking dude? Norman Reedus. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Who we are all deprived of seeing in a Silent Hill game. I know. Wait, what? Uh. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember with that. With a PT... Where we all just screamed at the TV yes. <laughs> until we got to the... We didn't when, even get uh, to the cutscene. I feel like we looked it up later. <laughs> I don't even... I, I, I all remember is John, John Clements was with us, right? And he screamed bloody murder. Yeah, he was louder than all of us. And... and meanwhile, I was like whispering into the headset trying to get it to do something scary. <laughs> it was honestly one of my favorite moments of John Clements, if he's listening right now. And he knows it. He knows it. We talk about it a lot. It... <laughs> Hey, John. How you doing? Hey, John. <laughs> I miss you. Okay. Uh, I'm going to knock on your door one day. Three knocks. And then I'm going to run away. Oh, my God. You're going to terrify him. He's going to shriek and we'll all hear it. <sighs> Just remember that Texas has a hold your ground law, rule, whatever. Serpentine. You won't get shot. Serpentine. <laughs> it doesn't work in Texas. I just want to point that out. <laughs> it doesn't work here. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, this was an interesting episode. I hope it wasn't too much of a downer. Um, I hope y'all are going to have an amazing week and an amazing Halloween. Even if you're just staying home, make it fun, make it festive, whatever you need to do, as long as it's mostly legal and you're not harming people. Yeah. Yes, and uh, don't forget to follow us on all the social medias. Yes, please answer uh, our Coven Corner so we can read it in a future episode. Um, if you have any other like historical monsters topics you might want us to cover, uh, you can message us, uh, you can email us, 
however you really want to contact us, go through the socials, and uh, we will we'll consider it. Any topic, really. What do y'all want? What do y'all want to hear? What do y'all want to listen to? We're just talking to y'all. What do y'all? What do y'all want? So, whether you're getting run down by a more traditional type zombie, or, you know, getting slowly taken over by a fungus, or maybe being one of the first scientists to unearth a deadly virus that could possibly be a zombie virus, even with all that going on, don't, don't forget that you could still be possibly haunted. Mm-hmm.